The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox. Wall Street sees red as U.S. inflation jumps to a near 13-year high, with the Dow reporting its single worst session since January, while consumer stocks lead almost all sectors into negative territory. The Nasdaq bears the brunt of the selling, with Apple closing below its 200-day moving average for the first time in over a year. Well, elsewhere in markets, we've got Asian equities sinking to seven-week lows. Spooked by concerns, the Fed could be prompted to start tightening policies sooner to combat rising prices. Uh, And here we go. Look, a U-turn for Elon Musk. The Tesla boss says the electric car giant will no longer accept Bitcoin as payment. Well, that was a swift turnaround. Apparently, he's citing environmental impact, nothing to do with volatility. Uh, Well, this sent the crypto price crashing. The U.S. CDC approves Pfizer's COVID vaccine for use in adolescents, clearing the way for shots to start as soon as today. So very good morning, everybody. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Jeffrey. Let's talk about this inflation print then. Consumer price growth in America grew at its fastest pace in nearly 13 years during April. This raising concerns that the economy is now running too hot. A combination of monetary and fiscal stimulus drove the rise with prices for used cars and trucks, lumber and energy all surging over last year. The Federal Reserve has warned that it will allow CP to slightly overshoot before taking action, adding it expects price pressures to be transitory this year before stabilising. What did you just say? Slightly overshoot. Look at me, my voice has gone up 17 <laughs> octaves yeah, on that I one. I think you've slightly, slightly overshot. overshoot. <laughs> slightly overshoot. Yes. I, mean, I don't know if it's Carl Weinberg listening. We won't get to him yet. <laughs> but, 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 but slightly overshoot. For all those people yes. who said this is just transitory, 4.2%. Yeah, I know you're listening, Carl. We'll get back to you in a few moments' time. I know you're oh. of the transitory base effect, slightly overshoot. Steve Sedgwick doesn't understand inflation argument. But my goodness me, 4.2% is not slightly overshooting. No wonder these markets are getting rattled. And we'll come to Carl in a few moments' time, of course. And even by Carl's own notes, I've got it in front of me here as well. Uh, some of the figures are quite extraordinary, including used cars and trucks surging 10% on the month as well. I'm sure it's just supply issues, Carl. Uh, down 2% the Dow, down 2.1% the 500 index on the S&P as well. The Nasdaq, as Jeff said in the headlines, down 2.7%. do not come to the VIX yet. Have, has anyone on this channel ever said to you, VIX at 17% in these current markets doesn't make sense? Can you remember anyone who said that? No? All right, we'll carry on then. Look at this. Look at what the VIX did yesterday. Absolutely huge rally. 38% up over the last three months as well. Week to date, it's up 65%. But yeah, I'm sure you all knew better when it was trading at 17% than someone who may or may not have mentioned uh, about the VIX at 17, just not making sense in these markets and that you were able to trade your gamma on it. No? 
No, don't remember that? Okay, let's move on. Let's look at treasuries. Treasuries haven't actually gone out of range. This is the other point. They've rallied from about 1.57, 1.6. They're still 1.68, but that is still very much in range of where they've been uh, with below the highs of the year as well. And as you would expect, uh, the concern about future cash flows compared with where inflation and interest rates are, tech stocks got it uh, a little bit more aggressively, as you can imagine. Let's look at some of these names here as well. Um, what can I pull out for you? Tesla down for... Wow, there's a story. We'll come to that later on as well. Mr. Musk may be a genius, but he's certainly done a flip on Bitcoin, hasn't he? Well, we'll come to that later. 4.4% lower. Twitter down 4%. Alphabet down 3%. Don't get me wrong. These stocks are, have absolutely been flying on most measures. Three months has been a little bit challenging, but one year, two year, three year, five year, they've had a great time of it. And let's be honest about it. We understand there's a structural story going on uh, as well as their exposure to higher interest rates. Lumber, it's just about transitory forces. I'm going to undo my button. Not only is my octave going up yes. because I'm stretching forth. Uh, even I, only Becky Meehan could reach that. 63% <laughs> higher in three months on Lumber. 63% higher. Remember Becky Meehan? She's, um, do you know I, she's a fire lady now? Well, I was going to say she could reach it on her ladder, couldn't she, if she needed to, now that she works for the fire service. Exactly. But let, let, let me throw up the other side of the coin. Bottlenecks. Bottlenecks. It's a phrase we keep hearing again. It's like the strangulation of your vocal cords as you reach those higher oh. notes. That's what's going <laughs> on here, if you want to believe the economists. Forget the Phillips curve. Well, the economist isn't Larry Summers an economist? Larry isn't Summers. Elarian trained as an economist? Didn't Yellen know a thing about economists? Doesn't Druckenmiller know a thing about economists? They're all good economists, I'm sure. Well, but, but they're not but allowed they have to doubt. A different, they have a different perspective okay, on right. what's going on, which right. is perfectly appropriate right. because, as we were discussing off air, that's what makes a market. Oh, you and need say, people. <laughs> the, the, the interesting question is, you know, the Fed is like a gymnast at the moment, an Olympic-grade gymnast, and they're just hoping that as they as they go into the yes, I did, yes, I did. As they go into look, you're ruining my analogy here. I'll um, be quiet. A fine gymnast. Yes. As they go into the flip, they come off the box. They're expecting a perfect landing, and that's the point here, isn't it? That the Fed continues with this narrative that we will see two percent their target ultimately by the end of the year but we may go a little bit higher into the in the interim slightly higher anyway let's talk about this because uh, as, as steve has pointed out carl weinberg is waiting in the wings and no doubt he's frothing and foaming because he wants to start talking yeah. let's have a look at uh, some of these u.s home builders then i mean broadly we had what you would expect when you get a knee-jerk response to a very strong piece of data it, it, uh, it went all through the home builders. Consumer discretionary. Let's have a look at the, uh, the boards here and just show you what's going on. Uh, again, we got a dip 3.28% lower on the S&P consumer discretionary uh, indices here as people began to panic about the impact of these higher prices on consumption habits. And let's uh, face the fact that price in its own way is a rationing mechanism. Let's have a look at the retailers. Uh, let's flip the board one more time here. Uh, the retailers got impacted because of that concern then, that knock-on concern that demand would be impacted, uh, or ultimately these retailers would have to take the hit from higher prices on their own margin, which would mean an impact to profit. What about the transports? 
Uh, what did we see as far as the transports are concerned? Again, you know, the Dow Jones transports, which we often talk about as a proxy for broader strength in the U.S. economy, down 2.29% here as the market became concerned that ultimately this inflation would work its way through the uh, U.S. economy and lower overall growth and the overall reflation trade that the market has built these high prices on the back of. Karen? No, she's come back down for the 10th floor. Uh, Jeff, other markets. <laughs> Sorry, Karen. Right, Jeff, other markets have been uh, effectively flipping out to pick up uh, on your terminology. You've seen uh, that there's no immunity in emerging markets either at this point. And I think a lot of investors have been concerned about any inflation uh, stemming across to this region and what the impact could be. Uh, just talking through some of the markets, so you've got a reversal taking place in the Chinese market today. Australia, despite the fact that uh, you've got this commodities narrative in the backdrop that should be supportive, it still trades in the red. But the one that uh, fascinates me has been the Japanese stock market. That's been down 2% in trade today. And don't forget, this is a, a tech-heavy index these days. A SoftBank, we saw the report card from that company in the last 24 hours. It has a, a huge tech focus and trades around some of those rich technology valuations. So a big slump in that stock, undermining the broader market as well, along with uh, what we've seen from the, some of the big autos in terms of the chip shortage. And where it uh, starts to get dicey for the year-to-date performance of the NASDAQ, you can see effectively it's given back all of the recent gains. We're trading around the levels that we witnessed back in late January. So it's not uh, a stunning performance now for 2021. And to the point where some are wondering when the selling stops, because it has been just a continuation of reading for that Japanese stock market. But let's get some more thoughts. Mohamed Al-Arian, the Allianz chief economic advisor and former PIMCO CEO, has told CNBC he doesn't think the stronger than expected reading on inflation will change the Fed's strategy for now. The critical thing here is that this is only one month and one must be careful about extrapolating. I think there's a different message going on. It's the concern of, a, of high inflation and a Fed that's absolutely stuck on the notion that it will be transitory and is not willing to be open-minded about it. And what that does, that combination threatens the robustness of the liquidity paradigm. There's a reason why it's not just stocks that are down today. It is stocks. It is Bitcoin. It is gold. It is bonds. It's across the board. Uh, Mohamed Al-Arian there expressing his uh, concern about what's happening with this inflation print. Well, Carl Weinberg is Chief Economist and Managing Director at High Frequency Economics. Uh, we've referenced you a couple of times already. Carl, now it's your opportunity to speak. Um, just set us straight on this. Why is this transitory? Why is the Fed right? Why is Mohamed Al-Arian wrong to be concerned? Well, I, I didn't hear Mohammed being wrong. Uh, I, I think that um, uh, his. I'm getting well, we've got a problem One, two, here. It seems. I tell you what, Carl. Why don't we just leave you for a moment? Let's see if we can get the technical team to dial back in and get this line up. Either we'll do it on the phone or we'll do it in vision. But. My second question really for Carl, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this, is the Phillips curve. The Phillips curve is uh, an economic theory that at times I think the validity of, 
of which has been questioned. But no one has actually disproved that it doesn't work at this stage. But it does indicate that there is a problem with the way we're thinking about the economy at the moment, because low levels of unemployment typically correspond with higher levels of inflation, according to the Phillips curve. But we have something wrong. There are ghosts in the machine here. We've got higher levels of unemployment, and apparently we now have higher levels of inflation. If the Phillips curve is right and not broken, one of these things doesn't add up at the moment. It's a bit like Sesame Street. One of these things here doesn't match the other. Now, which is it? Are we headed towards perpetual lower unemployment or higher unemployment? Perpetual higher inflation or lower inflation? Well, you know there's more nuanced the relationship between inflation and the, the new, you've laid out the case and it's beautiful, but it comes about productivity, it comes about education, it comes about actually the right jobs being available for the right people as well. We all know that there are large amount of people who are undereducated for a lot of the jobs that we need in the market today and basically fully educated for lower paid jobs in there. So if you want a, a mass of people to, to fill in the gaps at a certain end of the market, then they're probably there. But if you want a, a group of people uh, who are educated to increase productivity of an economy, actually to fill in those gaps where there are higher skilled jobs, where people are paid more uh, and there are missing gaps in the employment um, uh, spectrum at the moment, Moment, then, then that's where we've got a problem as well. And this is why people like Larry Summers, dare I say it, have talked about the, uh, the public um, education system for years and how mm. you have to fix that in order to have the productivity problem solved in order to grow your economy. If it is a skilling issue, then inflation is coming. I think, I think we can, we can issue, inflation pretty much um, nail that tail to the donkey. But I'm still a little bit sceptical here because what we've seen perhaps is a lot of company-led training programs and skilling drop out of the system over the last 20 years. As companies have focused on financial engineering rather than the social consequences of not training up their own workers, that has fallen by the wayside. Which I know there have been... salaries have also fallen by the wayside. Exactly. There have been drives in some countries... Uh, particularly in Europe, I think, to reintroduce uh, mentoring programs, skilling programs led by companies. But it's something that has slipped by the wayside. So I'm not 100% a believer in the skilling story at this stage. But Carl, I'm told that we have your connection back. Let's just pick up with you and give you the opportunity to address where you sit on the inflation argument. Well, you know, I'm with Fred Chair. Clarida who is, um, I'm still getting an echo here. I speak her off and see what. So uh, I'm still in thinking that uh, what we're seeing right now uh, are transitory. Carl, it's not, it's not working. I don't know what's going on with the connection here. We'll get the technicians to have another look at it and we'll see if we can get you back on the phone here because I'd really love to hear what Carl feels about this inflation crisis at so this point. Me, but clearly the markets are spooked. I mean, we, yes. we've shown the indices at the top of the programme here. I think so, it's worth just repeating for anybody that's tuning in who's missed the top of the programme. That's the way the markets uh, wrapped up their session in the States yesterday. It was an ugly session. But having said that, we're only talking about levels that take us back to February. We are still single digit away from record highs, record highs that have in the last 17 months or 15 months or so taken out um, the highs we saw of February last year and then gone up significantly. And I'm not just talking about technology, which is a structural story. I'm talking about all 
kinds of indices as well. Uh, and the point is the markets have taken the Federal Reserve at their word, i.e., and I will quote Jay Powell, I'm not even thinking about thinking about tightening at the moment. Now, now that we have had, what did you say? A, a slight increase in the expected, in the overall uh, level. Look, I didn't write the I script. know you didn't. I, I read the words. Don't. I know that we're in echo chamber most of the time. But the yes. point is, uh, the fact of the matter is, 4.2% needs some careful uh, and considered analysis. Mm. It is not just about um, saying it's just transitory. That's the end of it. Because as, as, as Mr. Bullard, I mean, mm. we're going to get back to Carl if it, if it kills us. We'll get back to him throughout this show as well. Mm. The man stayed up. Or we, or we might kill somebody else if it doesn't happen. Oh, no, they're not a nice yeah. bunch in the gallery. It's just they've got, I don't know, battery problems or something. I don't know. But, 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 the, <laughs> but the problem is, uh, is if Bullard is saying to the detractors, you don't know, you yeah. haven't lived through this. Well, again, I'll say exactly what I said yesterday. I'm saying to Bullard, do you know, because you haven't lived through this either. So how can you be 100% confident it's transitory when the rest of us just don't know? We're asking the question, but we're shot down when we're asked the question because the Fed says it knows. Now, I know you'll counter argument mm. that because we had it off camera, mm. and that is they have such a great amount of data coming in that mm. they have greater clarity than anyone else out there. My question is not the amount of data they've got coming in. Mm. It's whether they're analysing it on their algorithms correctly because they know something that's not happened since 20... Uh, Yes, since 1919. We've never yeah. had a pandemic like this coming yeah. off the back of the devastating Great War or First World War, as we call it now as well. That combination has never happened before. So the clarity that the Fed has got, I'm amazed at. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, my counterpoint piece was basically that they do have a lot of agents broadly spread in the economy that feed back real-time information about consumption patterns. What if the Fed can see fragility in the underlying demand story that the market is missing at the moment. Either way, both of these messages are not good for asset prices where they currently sit. Look, let's take the break. Uh, we have an opportunity to reset. We will do that in just a moment. Stay with us, we'll take that break. Another big story for you this morning. What has happened to Bitcoin? Billions wiped off the value of Bitcoin. And again, it's all down to the same man. We'll tell you a bit more about what Elon Musk had to say this time. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. Uh, one of the big stories we've been talking about uh, is uh, around cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. As uh, cryptocurrencies are under pressure after Tesla CEO Elon Musk said the electric car company would suspend payments in Bitcoin, citing environmental concerns over electricity uh, intensive mining and transactions. Musk tweeted a statement from Tesla saying that the company still believes cryptocurrencies have a promising future, but that it cannot come at the expense of the environment. Uh, a fairly extraordinary uh, 
flip after the investing decisions that Tesla has made in Bitcoin. And then we saw in a recent filing a decision to sell some of those assets where Tesla then effectively made money on those investments, but also to try and take Bitcoin as payment for settlement of some of the cars. This is a huge change. And we know Musk has had a monumental impact on some of the, the cryptocurrencies in recent times when he's tweeted, when he's spoken about these cryptocurrencies. So uh, a huge reaction in the market around this. But uh, I think what's surprising is that this is not new news. We have been talking about the intensity required to mine Bitcoin for, for many, many uh, weeks and months and now even years. So it's uh, quite stunning that this is the excuse that Tesla has now used. I think many at the time thought it was an unusual decision anyway, given that this is a company that effectively parks itself in the green side of the investing universe to have such a and big negative around uh, the uh, footprint it is providing on the on the um, carbon side. It's just incredible that it made the decision first to make these investments. Now this flip based on something that everybody else already knew. Yeah, look, it's not a surprise to Elon Musk about the energy intensity. He is a stunningly smart visionary, call himself the techno king. You don't become the techno king without knowing these kind of facts. The fact that Bitcoin uses more electricity than the whole of Argentina, according to Elon, uh, according to um, uh, Cambridge University. It, it, if you look at the list of countries out there that it's bigger than, um, it's more terawatts than Argentina at 221, more than Netherlands at 108.8, more than UAE, uh, more than virtually the same as Norway. Uh, it's no surprise to Elon Musk, let's be honest about it. This is about volatility in the underlying and the fact that raw material costs are going up and he doesn't want a volatile payment system. Uh, this is about China. Um, an object remains at rest until acted upon by another force. Basic physics. What has changed Elon Musk's mind at this point? 70% of Bitcoin are mined in China. They are mined in China because China subsidizes energy prices. So they are these Bitcoin are mined at a price lower than they would be in the United States or elsewhere, where energy is charged at market rates. The Chinese consumer is starting to become a little disaffected with Elon Musk's Tesla cars. There have been a lot of protests. Um, the Global Times, which I think is largely the mouthpiece of the Chinese government, he is attacking Elon Musk every now and again, suggesting that he is not listening to what Beijing is asking for. The Chinese government is investigating Bitcoin mining, and it is also trying to reprice energy at the market rate. All of these are broad negatives, I would suspect, not only for uh, the outlook for Tesla in China, but also for the outlook for Bitcoin, if ultimately those miners have to move to somewhere where the costs are higher. And the wind is blowing up regulation as well. But let's part this one because I believe third time lucky, Jeff. Let's get back to Carl Weinberg, Carl, is he there? Chief Economist here. and Managing Director at High Frequency Economics. Carl, I have all of my limbs crossed at this point. Hopefully you can hear me and you can give us your thoughts on inflation. Yes, good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Steve. I think, Steve, you didn't complain about fueling up your car this time. You missed that, the energy price increases year over year. Look, we've got massive mismatches between supply and demand as the economy spools up to speed. And while we've never spooled up to speed, we've never gone from zero to 60 before, you know, this is an unprecedented circumstance. But for sure, we have to expect that there are going to be bumps along the way. Four components contributed most of the surprise to this number. 
right? Airlines, which really shouldn't be in there at all because a month or two ago, nobody was flying anywhere. Uh, lodging away from home, the same thing when people weren't traveling. Cars, trucks, used cars, cars and truck rentals. Let's talk about that specifically, right? Used cars prices are up because there aren't enough of them because we're not selling enough new cars because of these chips. Now, that's a supply problem. It's not inflation, but it's a legitimate supply problem. And for every new car that's not sold, there's a used car that's not created. And at the same time, the rental agencies have jumped into the used car market because they can't get new cars either. So we have a shift of demand to the right and upward and a shift of supply at the same time to the left, and that's causing a rise in prices. And that's understandable, and it's not inflation. I agree with, with Fed Chair Clarita, and I agree with anyone who believes at this point, which seems to be most of the people on the Fed also, that we're seeing transient shocks, bottlenecks along the way as we get back up to speed, and that everything ultimately will settle down. One more thing to think about, you know, how do we get here? You know, we stop making services, we shut down our services sector. So what we have then is a huge swift of all the income of the economy into uh, into goods because people are unable to buy services. And that's a huge shift in the demand for goods. And it's sparking these big increases in demand relative to supply, these price increases. But if the services sector opens up again, demand will pivot back into the services as well as goods, we'll see a drop in the demand for goods, and that's going to equalize price pressures. So, Steve, take a deep breath, lower your voice a couple of octaves, or wait a month or two, and things, I think, are going to look a lot better on the inflation front and on the growth front when we get to the end of the summer. I won't even start talking, Carl, about my builder who got in touch with me yesterday and said he's going to have to start late because they just can't get hold of the raw materials. Carl, it's not the fact that the Fed has a view and that you have a view that I have a problem with. It is the fact that there is a cult around the Fed at the moment which says we are right and you are wrong. And they're not even considering the opposite view as well. Uh, and that is what people who do who on this channel who I admire the most and you as well in many ways Carl that are pragmatic about this they're not even considering that there could be other pressures at work here and if it isn't transitory it kind of means things are working doesn't it if they are creating inflation in the system if they are creating jobs if they are creating growth surely that isn't something to be afraid of that is something to applaud because it means the policy is working but they're so afraid to admit that there, there might be inflationary impetus is coming into the employment market into the supply of goods into the market Market, that they won't countenance anyone else's opinion. That's what worries me. It's kind of almost quite authoritarian. We are right and you are wrong. And that's what worries me. Well, Steve, that's because you don't sit on the Fed. The Fed's job is to minimize the chances of the worst possible outcome. And the question that they're looking at right now is, what is the biggest problem? Is the problem inflation? Is that the biggest risk right now? Or is the problem sustained unemployment? which could force the government into subsidizing people's incomes for an unaffordable period of time or leading to a crash. Okay, this is the problem that the Fed wants to minimize more than the chance of more than anything else. So if it's going to take some inflation risk along the way, that may not be the best possible outcome, but it's certainly the least bad outcome rather than risking continued runaway unemployment. In the United States, in the last figure, there are, what, 16 million people who are still receiving unemployment benefits? All right, they're the problem. And if we have to pay some inflation to get that fixed, that's probably a good trade. That's what the Fed's thinking, and I can't disagree with that.
Uh, Carla, I'm just going to point on the record that I'm surprised anyone's surprised about a 4% inflation handle. We've been talking about it for weeks, that a 2 or a 3% handle will be replaced with a 4% one. Well, that's what transitory effects look like. But uh, clearly there are some concern about a number we haven't seen for some time. I want to ask you, though, about what comes next, because one of the fears is that we've now got another stimulus package, even if it's infrastructure spending and a different part of the economy. What does that do to prices down the track and how inflationary could that spending be? Yeah, so right now, nobody's talking about that. And I think that let's just keep that in abeyance and uh, and see what happens. You know, when we talk about people getting excited about a 4% inflation number, I agree with you. You know, these kids like Steve, you know, they don't remember the 70s, you know, when we had double-digit inflation, you know, and it was in wages as well as prices, and, and then the inflation itself was a problem. You know, this is still relatively small change. And again, remember that every increase in the CPI is, is not inflation. Karen, I think if the government, you know, goes to more income support stimulus, that could be an inflationary issue. But the kinds of programs that the Biden administration is talking about are focused on infrastructure, on moving technology forward, on improving the, the, the structure of the economy so that more women can get to work more easily, so that uh, more uh, people can find jobs, so that technology gets the right kick in the right direction to compete on the global platform, and that creates jobs. Oh. So government spending at this point, that's investment. I'm in favor of that. Let me try it from a different angle, my friend. Is the Fed policy creating inflationary bubbles in market assets? Forget about the real economy. We can, we'll park that argument. I think we've had a good go at that, all of us. Is it creating inflationary bubbles in asset classes? I don't think necessarily so. Well, but let's, let's, let's talk about different asset classes. If you're talking about financial assets, there's a lot of money slushing around right now. And we did a chart for our readers at High Frequency Economics last weekend looking at savings rates around the world. And all of this money that came, not all of it, but a lot of the money that's going out in the form of income support is being saved. And that money that's being saved is going into financial assets as well as consumption of goods and ultimately. And, and that is creating uh, potentially bubbles in the stock market, bubbles in other financial assets as well. So, yeah, I think there is a risk of that going on right now. Uh, now, will that bubble burst at any particular moment? You can't tell. You know, there's no way to predict that. I humbly uh, admit my inability to tell when that's going to happen. But I think we are getting some inflation in asset prices. Um, and ultimately, just as in the price for lumber, the price for lumber is ultimately going to go down when supply catches up with demand. And at the same time, I think that asset prices at some point can't sustain the levels where we are right now. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.